Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. All right. Good morning. Welcome to New Branch. How's everybody doing? Everybody alive and awake. And I think this side was just sleeping all together. That's fine. All right. Anyway, welcome. We're so glad you're here today. We are in a series of messages called One Month to Live, which is kind of a depressing title until you understand what it means. So I just wanted to explain what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. If you haven't been here, then this might kind of explain it a little bit. Um, and One Month to Live, really, it, it sounds kind of depressing. I find that pastors like to focus sometimes on depressing things. We talk about death and hell and all kinds of horrible things, and it's kind of dramatic for us, and so sometimes we like it. But from the lens of a pastor, I don't, want, I don't want you to think of one month to live like the negative side of, hey, if I had to die and all the horribleness. But what I see with people that only have one month to live is this, is that they get around to some things that are very important. If you knew you only had 30 days left to live, how focused would your life be? For some of us that are approaching middle age and above, which is, the majority of people in here, if you didn't know, I mean, like, you might not know your middle age, but if you didn't, I'm just letting you know right now, most of you guys are. If you're questioning it, you probably are. And, um, but here's what I know. Sometimes you have a midlife crisis. I don't know if you've had that. I have, where it's like you hit a stage in life where you go, I have all these dreams. And when you're young, you have a lot of dreams. And then as you approach middle age, your life takes a turn, and it's kind of like, well, I had all these dreams. And, and you don't necessarily have to be middle age to get this. But you take a turn, and you're like, man, it didn't turn out like I thought, and now all this stuff that I wanted to accomplish, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to because I don't have enough time. And what, what looking at life one month at a time does for you is it goes, hey, those people understand. I can't get to everything. But you know what? There's several things I have to get to in my life to make it of value, and that's what we're looking at. And we've looked at it really through the lens of Jesus, that we believe that Jesus lived an amazing life. If you don't know that, then maybe studying with us and learning about him may change your mind about that, and you might say, hey, wow, he lived an incredible life. I wish I could have what he had. And so if you want what he had, you kind of have to live how he lived. And today we're going to talk through another principle from the life of Jesus. We've covered several of them. If you've missed any of them, we do have them posted on our YouTube site, newbranch.tv. is our YouTube site, newbranch.net is our website, and we have audio files on our website, and you can watch them on YouTube or pick up CDs if you missed any. Charles Chappell launched it with Living the Dash, Last Sunday we talked about why it's important to live passionately, but not only to live passionately, but how do you get passion back into your life? And then today we want to talk about something that really explains Jesus, and that's this, is that Jesus loved like nobody else. That Jesus was a person who loved completely, and today we want to talk about that. And I want you to think about this question. Are you a loving person? Are you a loving person? Now, I... You know, I asked myself that question, I thought, yeah, I think maybe I am. Or maybe you just know right away, you're like, no, I'm not, you know. And, and I'm not necessarily talking through the lens of personality type, because some people are just naturally more affectionate than other people. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying the driving motivation in your life is it love. Now, I'm not coming from the premise that I have to, to get people to buy into that, because I think most people go, no, I think love is very important in life. And I would take a poll, but I'm afraid that 
a lot of you wouldn't raise your hand just to irritate me. And um, <laughs> But I think most people would say, yeah, that's my goal. My goal wasn't to become this mean, hateful person. That wasn't my goal in life. Or my goal wasn't to get all these material possessions. I actually care about people, and I actually want to love and be loved, and that's kind of the motivating part of my life. But I want to talk about some things that maybe block us from that, and I want to do a little test up front to tell you kind of what the Word of God teaches about it. That he, that there's actually kind of a test in the Word of God to say, are you a loving person? And here's where it's found, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to cover the whole passage, but I just want to start halfway through. Now, I know that's kind of discombobulated, but, you know, hey, it's my message, so anyway, I'm doing it. So here we go. So 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, um, it says this, that it always, um, when it says it, it means love. Love always protects. And when I see that, I go, yeah, I can believe that, right? I mean, I can believe that love could be protecting. In fact, even when you watch movies about it, it's kind of cool when that person protects their girlfriend or their wife or the person they're in love with, and you're like, yeah, it does do that. But this next part is very, very difficult for me. It always trusts. You can underline that if you want. It's in your notes. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And i got to tell you, when I saw that this week, I thought to myself, I, I don't know that I'm the right one to bring this message to the back. Because I don't always trust people. And i got to tell you, the older you get, sometimes the less you trust. You, you know why? Because life hurts. And, and not only does life hurt, but people hurt. And you're kind of like, when it says that and it goes, hey, do you, let me ask you a question. Do you normally believe in people? Or do you normally assume the worst about people? Are you skeptical? And I'm not just talking about personality where you go, I'm a little bit more critically minded or I'm a little bit more intuitive or I'm naive. That's not what I'm talking about because some people would take it by going, you always trust by saying, well, that means you're naive, so that's why you trust people. Or you're one of those church people that's so religious that you're not thinking straight. That's not what I'm talking about here because if you're saying that, then I'm going, this describes, it says that God is love, that Jesus is love. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God's naive? He's not, right? I mean, he knows everything. So, so to say that, he's not an enabler. He, he does know about people. He doesn't, he's not blindsided by what people do. He knows all actions and everything that's ever been. But he does trust in people. His first response is to believe in them. In fact, he believes in them. He believes in people. And, and for those of you that are truly followers of Christ, you understand what I mean by this. Those of you who aren't, you might have to wrestle with this while we're talking. He believes in people probably even before he should, right? He believes in people, and I don't know about you, but he believes in you before you've changed your behavior or your beliefs or anything else. And he does for you what no one else can do, and it changes a life. And that's how important it is. So let me ask you a question. Are you a loving person? But according to this definition, do you always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere? Do you see the best? in people, or you see the worst. If you were to put lenses on, you say, hey, I'm skeptical. No, I think life is like this. I look through that lens at life. Um, so just think through that as we cover today's passage, as we talk about how to love completely. This is not a message of guilt. Um, this is not one that I'm going to be throwing and may say it that way, just because that's my nature, I guess. But, but it's not a message aimed at making you feel guilty. It's a message of really helping and free some people. The other thing I want to say before we get started is we've actually used a lot of this material before. We've used a series, One Month to Live, before, and we came back to it because we said, hey, we don't just want to be um, new. We don't want to just be original. We'd like to be profound. And we felt like, hey, this is a series we needed to cover again. But then I came to this message, and I said the message we covered last time 
isn't where I felt God directed me this week. And so we shifted it, and we went back to another lesson about love, and we've covered some of this material before, but here's why I'm saying it. Some of you guys have read this passage before. 1 Corinthians 13 is a love chapter in the Bible. You might have heard it before. The problem is this. Because we know it and we're so familiar with it, a lot of times we dismiss it. And some of the things we're going to talk about today can get into your life. It's almost like, hey, you got the blood flowing in your life, and then all of a sudden now you got a blockage. And then some of you guys understand exactly what I'm talking about because we've had some people, some people sitting in the room that have had stents put in recently, or some people had bypass surgeries. <laughs> and so you really know what I'm talking about. And this is what I'm talking about in your life, that there's stuff that gets in and you're going, hey, I'm going in the right direction, but this is holding me back, and maybe you don't recognize it. And today I want you to kind of open yourself up by saying, if you're struggling trusting, if you're struggling hoping, if you're struggling persevering, you may have a blockage. And if it's not dealt with, it will keep you from the love that God wants to have in your life, which I truly believe is the most important thing. Because here's the thing I know. When I get to the end, when I'm standing there at the graveside or I get to stand behind the bedside, trust me when I say, nobody's saying, hey, it's about their money. But we don't talk much about their money. It's not about that they finally got even. I never hear that much. It's all about love. You know, God, I wish I had got around to it. I wish I had more time. But today, I want you to open yourself up to one of the most amazing things that God wants to do in your life. We want to define it. We want to talk about how to, what these blockages are, how to overcome them, and how to be able to live a life that you love completely, which I believe would bring you the most joy that you could ever have. Okay, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 if you want in your Bibles, your Bible apps, or your outline. I'm giving it to you there, too. So we got lots of ways, and we'll put it up on the screen. No reason you can't see this. Okay, all right. 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll start with verse 1. It says this. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, you underline that if, 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 you're, if you're one that takes notes. I'm, I'm like that, so I'm going to say this a lot. If you don't, just act like you're doing it. Make me feel better. Um, but do not have love. Underline that. Do not have love. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I speak with the tongues of men and angels. So, so basically, I could do a demonstration. Frenchie asked me not to, so I'm not. Anyway, he's not here, so I probably could follow it. But he asked me not to touch the drum set. But if I came over here and I started clanging on the on the on the cymbal, you, you couldn't hear a word I said. And so what it's saying is it's going, hey, love isn't just what you say. Some people think that, right? I can say loving things or I can do some things and my behavior and my life don't add up. And he's saying, hey, if that's who you are, you think you're just going to say it and you can say it eloquently. It's not enough just to say you love. That doesn't work. That's not love. Most of us kind of probably get that. Okay, so let's go to the next verse. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, that's an incredible person of faith, is it not? But I do not have love. Can you underline this next part? You want to say it If I do not have love, what do I have? Nothing. Now, for the very religious people in the room, how many people are, the, you're the most religious person here? Don't raise your hand. Who's the most humble person here? Raise your hand. I can tell you, raise your hand, you're not, okay? What this is saying, and for some of the church people, this is going to be tough for us. It's saying you can have all the faith in God. You can know everything about the Word of God. You could have studied all of it. You could teach all the classes. You could sit in all the pews. You could know it all. And it's saying if you're, if you're not motivated by love, you know what you're going to have? You know what's going to happen when you finally stand before the Lord? You're going to go, you know what all that was worth? 
It means people can sit in church all their lives and know it all, and you can get to the end, and he goes, I'm sorry, you know how much that was good for you? None. Because God is just as in peace. He, not just what you know, more than that. Okay. He goes on to say this, verse 3. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship, I believe in the King James Version, it actually says, to the flames, meaning that you're burned alive, means that a person is willing to give everything to help other people, that I may boast. If I do all of that, after all, isn't love just what I do? He says, if that's all you got, but you do not have love, if it's not driven by love, if that's not the motivator, I gain nothing. It means you can sacrifice everything, but if you don't have this, you don't have nothing. Now, this is the Word of God. Apostle Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. You'll have to deal with that whether you believe it or not. But if you do, you're going to have to come to terms with, I can know everything about God's Word. I can do everything about God's Word. But God is just as interested in why I do what I do as what I do. Now, we might be going, wow, I don't know if I, man, that's going to blow my mind. Well, let me ask you, in relationships, isn't that true in marriage? That it's not enough just for the person to say they love you? You ever had that happen? <laughs> it's not enough for the person just to know a lot of things? It's not enough for the person to just do? A husband's and wife fight over this all the time, right? And where you go, you come home and, and, and she goes, well, don't you love me? And, you're, and the person's like, don't you see everything I've done? Don't you know I love you by now because of everything I've done? And it's like, but it doesn't feel that way. And you know what God is saying here? I want you, I want to bring back, and this is for old people, that loving feeling, right? Hmm? That's what he wants to do. I want to bring back that loving feeling. Feelings? Yeah. I want you to feel it because let me tell you something. You can get to the end, and if you're not driven by the love of God, if it's not in you, you don't have nothing. It won't work without him. And by the way, the things he's about to list, the definition of love that we're going to so easily say, yes, I'm loving, yes, I can do this, you can't do it. And believe me, when I look at this list, I'm going, I am struggling. I'm going, I'd like to say I'm a loving person. But when I look at his list, I'm going, no one can do this. Here's the definition. You'll understand exactly what I say as soon as I read the first word. Love is, here's what it is, patient. I'm out. I don't know about you. I'm done. I mean, I'm done right there. I'm one of the most impatient people you will ever meet. I hate that. I mean, I'm like, really? You wrote this? Why did you write that? I'm not patient. Love is kind. And then he talks about things that it is not. These are hard. And I want you to pay attention to them. I don't have time to cover everything, but but I want to cover a few key points, okay? It does not envy. Underline that because I want to kind of cover that day. It does not boast, which goes along with it. It is not proud. Some of those emotions all go together, but I want to talk about a blockage here that is most prominent for us, and that is envy. And he names it by name. You can't be loving and be envious. You can't fill your heart with envy and have love too. This is why I say we've covered this before, but the problem is is that it can very easily seep back into your life. So what I want you to do is evaluate. What I want, don't want you to do is for those of you that go, hey, I've heard this, check out. Because if you check out and you're dealing with this, let me tell you, let me tell you where this goes. You're going to hold on to envy, which nobody wants to say they have. Now, you can raise your hand here, but when I describe it, you're going, no, I'm not like that. 
I don't want anybody to know. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know I actually think this way. Yeah, can I let the bubble off a little bit? Yeah, can I can I let the pressure off a little bit? We all think this way sometimes. Okay. The blockage is envy. The love blockage is envy, and I want to describe it. Okay, I got a picture that kind of describes it best. It's kind of like you're going along, and you think you're getting it pretty good because you have the popsicle, and then you look over and you're like, "Wait a minute, why does she get?" You ever thought that? Like I always thought that. Oh, my brother, my brother was here, so I can tickle him a little bit. But it's like, why does he get that? Right? I mean, why would he get that, and I get this? You know what I mean? And it's like you were fine having what you had before until you see what they have. It's not just wanting more. You know what envy is? It's that I want what you have. In fact, you don't deserve what you have. I deserve what you have. And why did you get it and I didn't? Now, nobody likes to admit that because it's kind of like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy for people. But let me ask you, do you ever do that at work? Where it's like, I was in line for a promotion, but they got it, right? And and I'm actually, I actually did more of the work and I'm actually more qualified. And this idiot boss that I have didn't see me, right? I mean, and don't they know they're going to destroy the company? This is going to be terrible. They're a bunch of idiots running this place. And it, and it starts, can I tell you how you know if you have a problem with envy? You start to rant a little bit. As soon as somebody hits that, whether you say it or not, you start to go, your whole demeanor changes. You can tell an envious person right away because you give somebody a compliment that they don't like, and their whole face changes, right? And all of a sudden, it's an upside-down kingdom where, where you should be happy because something went good for somebody. You're actually sad. Get the idea? And they can't give a sincere compliment. Let, let them try it, right? If you said something like, hey, aren't, don't you think they're doing good? Hey, don't you think that sounded good today? They're looking through the lens. You get the picture? Of envy. But I have every right to feel that way. Well, maybe you do, but let me tell you what it's doing. You're not looking through the eyes of love. You're looking through the eyes of envy. And when you look through those lenses, let me tell you something, the whole world changes. And it makes you miserable. And the more that they get praised, or when they when life goes bad for them, you're actually happy. Anybody done that? It's like, <laughs> well, I told you, right? I knew that was going to happen, and whether you say it or not, it's there, and we have to get beyond it. Or you know what God is saying to us? You don't have love. It's not the driver in your life. It's blocking the love. Just like a heart attack where you go, well, the rest of me is working all right. Yeah, but that one blockage will kill you. Let me ask you a question. You got any of that in you today? Is there anything you're looking like that at? And then how do you get past it? So I just want to give you, and it's pretty much a lot of the same stuff for each one. There's a different exercise for each one, but there's one piece in the past when we covered this that I didn't see until now, and that's this. The solution is this, Jesus Christ, love. That's the part that I didn't get before. I went right into you need to celebrate other people. That's true. But can I tell you something? You'll never celebrate the way you should. You'll never have the joy in your life that you need without Jesus. Until you experience the love of Christ, you'll never experience it. Because Christ understands exactly what you need. He understands all the bad things that have happened to you. And when you experience his love, you know what it's going to give you the ability to do? Celebrate other people. You see, right here is where religion can go bad. Because if you've read the story of the prodigal son, you'll get this. That the, the prodigal son, it gets to the end, and everybody's celebrating this prodigal son that came home, except for his old, older brother. You know the picture? And so when he comes in, he's like, Dad, don't you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you know the story of the prodigal son, and the dad is God, right, in the story, and he gives him a perspective through a different lens. And he goes, hey, you're looking at things wrong. 
I tell you, a lot of church people are looking at things wrong. You've dotted all your I's, you've crossed all your T's, and then all of a sudden it's like, new church is doing it this way, and they're doing it like that, and why are they blessed? Because they water down the gospel, and they do blah, blah, blah. You get the idea? And that's what you see, because they can't truly celebrate what's going on in life. And you can see it at your work, you can see it at other places, and you don't know what I'm going through, but when you experience the love of Christ, it starts to give you the ability to look through a different lens. Come in and celebrate. Remember, that's how it ends in the story. It says, but we have to be glad and celebrate. You said it's this son of yours, and he said, no, it's this brother of yours. Now is he's alive. I know what he did in the past. I get it. But don't you have the love of God? Don't you know he can be restored? Don't you know that you are assuming the worst? When I want you to project the best. God. Now, this starts slow, okay? You receive the love of God. Then you start to celebrate. Now, that's an exercise. Understand, when we say celebrate, God will give you the love to do it, but it doesn't happen naturally. There's nothing natural about this. If you've got a problem with envy and you want to overcome it, you're going to have to work that. It, just like people that have bypass, it doesn't happen naturally. <laughs> it's hard. Okay? And, and that heart has to redo and rework, and, and, and it's going to take a little bit. It doesn't work right at first. Just like learning how to exercise. How many people feel like exercising the first time you do it? You don't. Right? I don't want to do that. But after a while, you go, I enjoy it, and I get into it, and now it's like something that goes, hey, there's benefit, and I see the benefit, and I like it. It's just like that with celebrating. So maybe you start small. Hey, write somebody a thank you note. Hey, celebrate somebody you wouldn't normally do. Don't be too disingenuous. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying don't wait for the feeling to be there. If you do, you'll never do it, okay? And it will have you. And let me tell you what this is saying. If you have envy in your heart, you cannot be a follower of Christ. Who is saying because let me explain what this said. You understand what it's saying? You're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. You can say anything you want. You can have all the faith that you want, but you have nothing. You don't have God. You might have something else. You may, you may demonstrate all kinds of greatness to everybody else, but it's got you. And you know what it's doing? This is what he's saying. It's not guilt. Here's what it's doing. It's robbing you of the joy God wants for your life. You hold on to envy, it will destroy you. Okay, let's move forward. You got that celebrate, but have the love of Jesus first. Verse 5 goes on to say this, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not self-seeking. Underline not self-seeking. Love blockage number two, you might be able to guess what it is. Not self-seeking. The person that seeks after self the most is the person that struggles with greed. (laughs) The thing that will (laughs) block, sorry. I think that was edited. That was me in that picture and then we put this kid. But anyway, I've done that with candy this Christmas. It was happening. And then Wyatt came, and I was like, that's mine. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. No, that's mine. That's mine, too. You know, And I want all of it. I want all of it for me. Get it? And don't touch my stuff kind of thing. Um, I'll give you a couple words to describe a greedy person because it's difficult to say that. You know how much is enough? Because here is the downside to greed. We think if I could get this, I'd be happy. That's what greed does to you. And it's almost like drinking salt water because the more you get, the more you want. And it's like, how much is enough? Just a little bit. If I could just reach out and you never quite get there. Let me explain it differently. We live in the wealthiest nation that's ever been. We have more creature comforts than any other time in history, yet we have people that think they're poor. We compare to each other. That's one of the reasons why. We don't think we have enough. Yet you go to a third world country and you go, you got more than them. So it's just a matter of comparing. And then there's other people that have more than us. So it's just greed is a nasty thing because it comes. And here's, here's how you can know. It's never enough. I'm too busy. 
you're too busy, you got a problem with greed. Just call it what it is. There's priorities and there's not. I'm too busy to do anything. I, I would do it right now, but I'm too busy. Why is that? Everybody's got 24 hours, right? And there's every week, seven days a week, right? There's no extra days for anybody. Okay. Too busy, overdue, overextend, overspend. Okay. Extreme, stay too long, preach too long. Don't, I don't know who put that. Don't laugh. That's not even funny, man. We're going to get the anger in a minute. I'm going to talk to you about that. Okay. Supersize me. Right? Supersize me. The insecurity for the for the greedy person, you know what it is? I'm going to, I'm not going to get what I need. That's what it is. That's really what it's at the heart of it. And it's not a matter of the amount, because we oftentimes think of greedy people as those that have a lot. You know what I'm at most greedy? When I didn't have as much. Because I wanted at least to envy too, but it's also greed because I've got to hang on to what i got, and it's when you grasp it, and it, this is mine, and I've got to keep it. It's not a matter of the amount. It doesn't matter. It's not meaning that if you have a lot of stuff that God now, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean if you have a lot that now all of a sudden you're greedy. That's not what that means. God blesses people and gives them different amounts. It's not a comparison thing. Having a lot isn't bad. When it has you, it's bad. When that's the driving factor in your life. Here, here's how you can know. If you said, hey, if you went out and played the lotto and you won, you know what it's at now? $1.3 billion. <laughs> Would your life be better? Would it fix all your problems that you're thinking about today? If it does, let me tell you something. you got a problem. If can I tell you something? And you don't think I'm telling the truth because you're going, you don't know because you've never had a billion dollars, but I'd like to try, right? And I'm like, I'd like to be your travel agent. If you win, i got all kinds of things in mind for where we can go and do things. Let me tell you something about that. If you think it fixes you, let me tell you something. You take a look at the people that are billionaires. If you could call them up and say, do you have any problems? Tell me right now. It won't. Because you got it in the wrong basket. And the solution to greed and, guys, I really feel like these two we struggle with the most, but nobody wants to admit it. But it might not just be materialism either. But we struggle because we go, I don't think I'm going to get enough. I don't think I'm going to be recognized enough. I don't think I can fill this void. Can I tell you? You can't. There's not enough alcohol in the world for some of us. Get it? There's not enough drugs in the world. There's not enough pornography in the world. There's not enough sex in the world. There's not enough so many good things to fill our lives with. There's not enough money. There's not enough debt. There's not enough anything that can Fill the void that you have in your life. Trust me. That's how I know. And the more you fill it with greed, you know what happens? It's like salt water. I don't know if you ever read about people with salt water. Look it up. It's pretty horrible. But what happens is, is once you start drinking salt water, you can't stop. But the more you drink it, the more dehydrated you get. That's good. Yes, let me tell you something. No matter how much you give somebody that's greedy, it doesn't pull them. Does. Ask anybody that's a drug addict. How much, how, many, how much drug do you need? How much is there? You know how much I need? A little bit more than that. You know how much alcohol I need? A little bit more than that. You know how much food I need? A little bit more than I need more. The only thing that can fill it is The solution to the problem of grief is the love of Jesus Christ. When you recognize that, you'll understand that $1.3 billion cannot do what Jesus Christ can do for you. But what he can do is more than what 1.3 billion dollars. 
When you look at what he can do and the love that he has for your life and that he wants to provide for you, and when you read his word and he says, I've never seen the children of God begging for bread. I've never seen them do without what they need. I've never seen them without what they need. And you're going, wait a minute, I know where the situation I'm in. Be careful. Make sure you're comparing to say, hey, do I have a problem in this area? Am I scared? Am I scared? Because the next word, you know what the solution is? You love Jesus, which leads to giving. You know who can't give? The greedy person. You can't have my candy. Just ask why I said that. <laughs> There's not enough here because I need it all. It's mine. Somebody gave that to me. Start using those words. Let me tell you something. It's greedy. You can't give. That's how you can know if you've got a problem with greed. But if I give that, I'm not going to have what I need. Oh, who takes care of you? But let me say it differently. I sit by a lot of gravesides, and I'm glad I finally get to say this one. I, I stand by a lot of gravesides and get to give their last word. You know, I stand by a lot of people on the day that they die. You know what I've never heard anybody say? I wish I could hold on to a little bit more money. You know what? I wish I could have made a little bit more money. You know what? I wish I could have had a few more things. Every single one of them, it always comes down to relationships. I either wish I had done them better. I wish there, my kids were here today. I wish I hadn't lived that way so I could, but I was so fixated on chasm. You know what God's saying? You want to break the back of it? Let my love wash over your life. Realize that I am Jehovah-Rohi, the God who provides. I am Jehovah Jireh, who, the God who can provide for you. I am El Shaddai, which is God Almighty. I was and is and is to come. Any need you have, I'm bigger than that. I can fill the void that no one else can fill. You know, I think I need to do that. Because I fill my life with so many things. Sometimes it's accolades. You want to know how you get over this? You want to know how you break the back of greed? Let the love of Jesus wash over you. When you realize he loves you and then that's enough, then here's the next part because it ain't over yet. Now here's the exercise. You want to know what it is? Give. That's hard. Now let me be clear on how to give. We could say give to the church and that's going to fix all your problems. You know why? Because churches are greedy too. They are. We don't like to say it. But we got all kinds of things. We got all kinds of big dreams and plans. And and then if you give a lot of money, then we can say we did all this. And we can build big buildings and build programs and, and we can afford first men and first ladies and special parking spaces and Mercedes and all kinds of things. We're not careful. True. Can I say again? God isn't against having things. He is against things having you. And that includes the church. But I'm not just talking about giving to the church, although that's a piece of it. If every, every child of God gave 10% of their income and the church would manage it the way God wanted, we could obliterate poverty in this world. There would not be one hungry person left in this world if every believer did that. Does that convict you like it convicts me? You know why we don't? Because we consume it because we think it's all for us. I'm not just talking about giving here. I'm saying, what does God want you to give? It may not even be just money. You know what it may be? It may be like me, accolades. You might not know I know this going so. It's all about me. I want to make sure everybody sees me. I want to make sure everybody compliments me. And if I build them up, then I don't get it all for me. Maybe you've got to give away some of the insults. Maybe you've got to give away some of the thank you. Maybe you've got to give away some of the stuff and start looking through the lens. And when you put on the love of Jesus, you're going to start looking, and now all of a sudden you're going to go, yeah, I know they're not quite there yet, but we need to applaud what's going on in their lives. Let me ask you, isn't that what somebody did for you? 
if you got anywhere, isn't that what's happened to you? Somebody came along and said, hey, you're doing pretty good there, even when it wasn't that great. But they gave some of their appreciation to them. Right the back of greed, it would be amazing. You got a big problem with greed, write some big checks. You got a big problem with greed in other areas, write some big thank you notes. I don't know. And by the way, you know, one last thing. This is how you can keep it real. Do it anonymously. If you don't, can I help you with something? It doesn't count. Can I tell you why? Because God doesn't need your money. Can I tell you something? I'm very clear on this now. This church doesn't need your money. Now, <laughs> that's kind of hard to say because I get paid for the church. You know what this church needs? Say that again. This church, if it got $1.3 billion, wouldn't be the same as if we don't have Jesus. Is that true? But with Jesus, I hope we give. I hope we do. I hope we do more. I hope we do all those things. But I hope that it doesn't have us and we think because we got more money, we got more. You know what we need? Jesus. You know what this church needs? The love of Jesus. And if we have that, everything else will take care of itself. I didn't say that. He did. Seek first God's kingdom, and then you'll have everything else. It's an amazing principle, and for some of us, it will set you free in ways that you cannot believe. Okay. First Corinthians. Let me go back to that just for one more second. You don't have to worry about the economy. It may crash. But our faith isn't built in the United States of America's economy. It's built on the love of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid because of Jesus. How many times do you need to go back to that? Who needs help with that? I do. Maybe you do. Maybe we need to pray for each other. And as the love of God transforms our lives, we'll go from holding on to letting go. And what can God do with no demand? He can change the world. Okay. Verse 5. You guys got to listen a little faster because it's lunchtime. Okay. It is not easily angered. You want to underline that? It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It means if you keep records of wrong and you're angry, you are not a loving person. You do not love the way God wants. You've got to deal with the problem of anger. The problem with anger is this, is there's a hurt. Somebody has done something to you, took something from you, or life has just kicked you in the teeth and now you're angry about it because it's not fair and there's a debt that's owed. We already know what God is going to ask us to do with this debt, whatever the debt is. You know what he wants you to do? Anyone want to say it? Yeah. Now, maybe you're like me. You go, I, yeah, I'll forgive. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. God may forgive you, but I will never forgive you. You ever said that? Like, I don't know what he'll do in eternity. That's fine if God wants to forgive you. I'll go along with that. Let me tell you something. In this life, we're not talking about them not having consequences. We're not talking about being in an abusive relationship. Every, every time I preach something like this, somebody takes what I say, and they go, they take it, and they go, well, then I should just go right back to this abusive thing. It's not what we're saying. God doesn't do that either. The problem and the blockage of anger. I got a great picture for it too. <laughs> I love that guy from Inside Out. It's just that's a great movie. The fear of the angry person. I won't get what I deserve. They owe me. They they are going to get by with it. I can't let it go. And the problem is, is you drink the poison. You go. Wasn't Jesus angry? Yes, he was. He had the emotion of anger, but anger didn't have him. Let me ask you a question. Does it have you? 
Does it consume you? When the person's name is mentioned, does it bowl up inside you? Yeah, but they're not sorry. Okay. They're not forgiven. Just because you forgive them don't mean they're forgiven. They didn't receive it. But let me tell you what Jesus did with it. Let me tell you what Jesus did in his life. He saw a sinful world that hated him, one that crucified him, and he was willing to die on the cross for every soul that there was before they received him. And today, you have an opportunity to receive him or not receive him. He didn't force you. Right? He said, I stand here and I knock, and if anybody opens the door, I'll come in. That means he's giving you a choice. Doesn't break the door down. He could, but doesn't. Doesn't let anger consume him. He goes, I want to forgive you. I've done everything on my side. Have you? Because if you don't, it will consume you. It will eat you away. It will destroy you. It's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else. You've got to forgive. The solution to the problem is this. But before you can forgive, guess what you got to do? you got to receive Christ's love. When you see Jesus on the cross, when you understand he died for all the sins, how can you see Jesus and hold back forgiveness? And say, you can't. How can you follow Jesus and have hate in your heart? But there's an answer to that. You can't. You cannot follow Jesus and hate. I mean, he says it in the Lord's Prayer, so you know it must be right, right? He says, If you don't forgive other people their sins, I won't forgive yours either. You know why? Because your heart is filled with hate, and it destroys you, and he can't fill it because it's already full of something. So he's going, open up your heart, and I'll push out all that stuff and fill you with my joy. But I can't do it as long as you're holding on to hate. That's why it's an open hand. Forgive. That's forgiveness. God will help you with that. Not only that, but other people. You've got to confess it to somebody else. You've got to come to somebody else and say, hey, I'm angry. Not the person that did you wrong yet. Somebody that can help you. A trusted person you can open your life to. So true. And it will help you. Solution to anger. There's one left. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. You want to underline rejoices with the truth? You know who doesn't rejoice with the truth? The person who has the blockage of guilt. True. Right? If you're guilty today, if you're guilty today, tell me, isn't that true? <laughs> you're like, hmm, I'm not guilty. All right. So, so the love blockage that we have is guilt. A, a guilty person has this. They have a secret. They have a secret. They don't, they don't trust. They're suspicious of people. But i got a slide for it. Now, I, I, did, I went really hard for this one to try to find a picture of my dog because my dog does a lot of bad things. My dog has no guilt. <laughs> so I couldn't find a guilty face because she's like, yeah, I did it, and I don't care. Um, but a guilty person is like this. You can see it on their face. It, 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 it portrays out of them, but they have a secret, and they don't want anybody to find out, and they're suspicious of other people. They don't naturally trust. That's why we say it's an indicator. When you don't trust, you might not have love because a lot of times it's based on guilt. The person who's pointing the finger the most, we learned this in the church world, right? We've seen pastors. When you point the finger the most, most of the time, what's behind that is a lot of guilt on this side. I don't want to be found out, so I'm pointing at them. See? If that's you, you might not even realize you're doing it, because a lot of people try to compartmentalize it. The problem is it comes out. And you know what it's keeping you from? Love. The love of God and the love of other people. Let me tell you why it keeps you from the love of other people. Because when people get close, you're going, oh, I can't get too close. And there's a barrier. Because you're going, they might find out. What is it? 
you hope nobody finds out. What is it you hope that if we were to divide up into groups today, we're not going to do this, so don't get uncomfortable yet. <laughs> if we were to divide up in groups right now, and we said, hey, we're going to ask everybody in this group a question, what is it you hope they wouldn't ask? Not because you wouldn't answer, because you know you wouldn't answer, but because they could see it on your face. What is it you need to let go? What is it that, that you feel so guilty about this? You said, if I told somebody else, that would just, it would kill me. The solution to guilt, most people know what it is, but it's difficult to do. It's confession. But before the confession, you have to have the love of Jesus Christ. You have to experience his love. You see, so many people see God as angry. So many people see God as this this person that's after you and wanting to destroy you and wanting to hurt you, but he's not. He wants to forgive you. In fact, he comes. You know what he says to the person? I know you've sinned. And I don't condemn you. How can he say that? Because he died on the cross for you. Maybe you've never heard that before and you needed to hear that today. For somebody, though, i got a feeling you have heard it. But now you're a Christian and there's this thought that goes, if I did know Christ and now I've done wrong, I have to hide it because now he's forgiven me once, but he won't forgive me again. And he's going, come back, confess it to me. And if you truly want to overcome it, you're going to have to confess it to someone else. Oh, what? Excuse me? We're Catholic now? You know, we're going to get a confessional? No, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this. You confess your sins to God, but it doesn't stop there because in James it says confess your sins to each other. And when it says each other, it means a trusted person. Not the person you've done wrong yet because you're not ready for that, okay? That's going to be a big debacle, okay? But somebody trusted that you can start to unpack your bags, somebody that would look through the lens that God has given them and the love of Christ, and they'll go, just go ahead and get it off your back. What is it? And it will kill you to open up your mouth for the first time, but when you do, there's freedom that comes. You know how I know? Because it worked for me. And if God could do it for me, he can do it for you. You think your life is over. You think if I don't hide it, you think if I don't compartmentalize it, but it's keeping you from every healthy relationship in your life. Are you ready? Confess. The solution is to confess. Open it up. It's the same open hand that it is for anger. You see there's a link there, right? Anger is something that needs to be confessed. <laughs> That's tough, isn't it? Because you feel so right when you're angry. But it's a sin. Get the love of God today. Verse 7 says this. We've come full circle. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres i got a slide. I'll, I'll go ahead and put it up um, because I know we struggle with this one. Stephen Covey, in the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he teaches a principle called, he says that between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space, this space right here, if this is stimulus and this is response, that you get to choose what you do. So you kind of enlarge that space, and now you have a little bit more control over your life. Does that make sense? In other words, if, if you're tempted to do something, there's a space. And you're like, today, I'm eating low carb. So if I'm tempted to eat a carb, I have a space that I decide whether to put it in my mouth or not. You get the idea? So I try to enlarge that space, and it, it decides what my behavior is going to be. I want to say it a little bit differently today. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you haven't. But not love isn't just for you. You see, i got a feeling there's some people here today that go, 
yeah, I struggle with this, but you know what? I'm safe, so it doesn't matter. Let me tell you where it matters. In the life of other people. Not just yours. In the life of other people. And God understands this too. You see, in their lives, there's a space between the expectations that you have of them and their behavior. More than just their behavior, their life. And what you put in this space will determine how they end up. Let me explain. In that space, do you put in, do you believe the best? Do you believe the best about people? When you see somebody, do you naturally think, I think you're going to make it, I believe in you, I'm praying for you, I believe God is going to do an amazing thing in your life, or do you assume the worst? You're not going to do it. You've messed up before, and you're going to mess up again, and you assume the worst. What you put in this space, what you put in this space will determine what happens. What you put in this space will determine whether you have the love of God in your life or not. If you assume the worst, let me tell you something. You do not have the love of God. Now, I know what people are going to feel about this because I felt the same way. Wait a minute. I'm a realist. Anybody there? I'm a realist. So are you saying because I'm a realist, are you saying because I'm not an enabler that I, I, must be, I must be wrong? No. What I'm saying is this. Let me ask you a question about God. Did he, did he believe in you before you, you should have been believed in? Did he believe in you while you were still a sinner? Were you all cleaned up when you came to him and, and you fixed your life on your own and then he believed in you? Do you understand why this is so powerful? Who is it God wants you to believe in? And you cannot do it with all these blockages. Get it? If you're greedy, if, if, if you hate, if, you, if you're guilty, you'll keep everybody at arm's length. You'll never be able to love like God loves and you'll never be able to transform lives like God wants to use you to be able to do. You'll never be that catalyst. We'll never be that church. Because God wants to do a work. And some of us are going, well, yeah, that sounds like enabling to me. It means like, hey, a drug addict comes, and now I just, I, I believe in them, so I'm going to enable their drug habit. No, that's not what it means. You see, the enabler is truly the one that assumes the worst. You know why? Because they believe you can't do it without me. Some of you guys let people do that. You didn't realize that's what you're doing. But what it means is you're not believing the best because you're going, hey, they can't make it to an AA meeting unless I drive them. Really? They got two feet, right? You don't think they could do it? They can find the drugs, but they can't find an AA meeting or an NA meeting. Funny, isn't it? Why? Or that's mean. No, it's not mean. It means I believe in you. I'm not going to enable you, one, because I'm not Messiah. There is a God, and I'm not him. And you need to go there, and I believe you can do it, and I believe by the power of God, he will raise you to a place where you can. Let me ask you a question. You assume the worst. You believe the best. This time you're going to do it. Oh, I know. You see, it's frustrating because I'm struggling with the same thing going, do I trust? I'm sorry, you've messed up twice. No, I'm sorry, you've messed up three times. No, you've messed up 3,000 times. I don't believe you'll ever change. You'll always be that. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God could transform a life? Do you believe that the love of God could transform a life? Let me tell you something. This will determine. This will determine whether you're a follower this right here will determine what kind of church we are. What we put in this space will change everything. Okay. It wraps up this way. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. It means everything else will go away. It
It means prophecies not as important as this. It means that manifestation gifts of tongues are not as important as this. It means that knowledge and, and knowing isn't as important as this. For the church, we've got to be careful because here's what we're willing to trade sometimes. Sometimes we get so into the mission that we forget the Great Commission. Sometimes we're so into the mission, we're so into the Great Commission that we forget the Great Commandment to love each other. We forget that the motivation, and he's going, hey, you could win the world, and you don't have love, and you know what you got? You got nothing. Make sure, God, how we treat people. So important. Verse 9, for, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away child, my childhood behind me. You know what I mean? You know what he's saying here? He's going, hey, pay attention. Stop being childish. You guys are thinking through an immature lens. I want you to think godly thoughts like a mature believer. And now he's going to say one of the most important principles in all the Bible, which almost, I used to think theologically, I was like, this is in the wrong place. I understand what it means. Verse 12. For now we see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am known. I don't know about you, but if, but if you've studied this at all, if you haven't, that's fine. And I don't think it takes a big stretch to say he's talking about the end of time. He's talking about when Christ returns. When Jesus comes and sets all things straight, how great of a day would that be? When there is no more government, that Jesus is the government, and he sets all things straight, how great will that be? We're no longer looking through a mirror. We're no longer looking through a smoke-filled room. We're no longer thinking, man, my hope is in this. I actually experience it face-to-face with Jesus Christ. That's the day, isn't it? Do you know what he's saying here? This is why it's in the love chapter. He's saying, I know you look forward to that day, but you could experience it now. If you want to experience the kingdom of God, let the love in. It's not about you loving more. You don't have it. Let him pour into you, and you will see the face of God. Then you can trust then you can protect, then you can assume, you can believe the best. See the picture? Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these Father, we come before you today, and um, I, I want to be able to love like that, but I don't, because I have all kinds of blockages in my life. Maybe, maybe I need to say that so somebody else might be able to say it to you. I have greed, I have envy, I have hate, I have guilt. I want to start the process God has given those to you. I have, and then I bring them back. And God, I want I want to live a love like that. I, I want to be able to assume the best about people, even though, Lord, sometimes people frustrate me. Sometimes I'm so frustrated at people, I just it just makes me so miserable. And it makes them so miserable. It makes this world so miserable. It makes this church so miserable. And I'm hoping people today, God, aren't just praying for me. I hope they're praying with me because we're all in this boat together, Lord. 
I want to be able to love like Jesus. I want to be able to love completely. Your life, when your when your love washes over me, God, I know what it does because I've experienced it before. Where this joy comes, it's unexplainable. I pray that for every person in the room, whether it be greed or guilt or envy or whatever they got. Then I pray, Lord, not only for us, but for those that we would believe in because of not our lens, but because of yours. That maybe when we look through the lens of Jesus, he goes, hey, maybe that person needs one more try. Maybe that person needs one more phone call. Maybe somebody needs one more chance. And you're you're beckoning us to make that phone call today. And as we walk out this room, Lord, I pray that we'll start to see through your lens for the first time. I believe, Lord, if a church came together like that, maybe it would change our lives. Maybe it would change our community. Maybe it would change a nation and ultimately change a world. Help us to love like that, God. You receive all the honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you need prayer today, we'll be here after the service. Um, For everybody else, God bless you. Have a great week.
Oh, 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.